Welcome to Radwell's Automation Nation. Adjust the volume or put your favorite earbuds in and let's explore the manufacturing and automation industry together. I promise you if you love the industry or just cool technology, you will love our podcast. Let's get started. Welcome to episode 16 of Radwell Automation Nation. This episode kicks off season two of our podcast and I'm pretty excited about that and I know Rob is too. In today's episode, we're speaking to a special guest from across the pond in the UK. He's an industry expert about the digital struggles manufacturers may face and how to work through those struggles in order to make the internet work for a manufacturing operation. Our expert guest for this episode is Nigel T. Packer. Nigel is a digital customer experience trainer and consultant. He is also an author and a digital business speaker. For over 25 years, he has used his extensive knowledge and broad range of experiences to engage, educate, and entertain business owners and audiences across the UK, Europe, and US. His subject expertise includes customer experience optimization, customer experience journey mapping, e-business strategies, effective website development, and international digital business strategy. He heads a consultancy practice called Pelotis Online. Nigel is also an in-demand presenter and has delivered seminars and speeches to audiences in many countries. His enthusiasm and knowledge of internet strategy is shared with the audience in a practical and informative way in presentations that are both engaging and entertaining. He takes a straightforward approach using non-technical language, even when dealing with technical issues. Full of insights and real-world observations, practical techniques, and actionable strategies, the focus is on doing business using the internet as a tool. Nigel is the author of Internet Marketing, How to Get a Website That Works for Your Business, and his current book in progress is called Customer Experience Optimization. The last fun fact I have about Nigel is that he lives near the sea in Wales. When we had our initial Teams meeting to discuss this podcast, I could hear seagulls in the background, which I thought was pretty cool. We might actually hear a few seagulls today. Nigel, we're thrilled to have you here with us today. And I'm thrilled to be here as well. Um, It's, I don't know what the weather's like with you, but uh, it's middle of August. We have lots of sunshine and I've actually had a walk on the beach this morning. Wow, sounds terrible. Lovely. (laughs) (laughs) here in new jersey it's the second circle of hell in terms of humidity and heat i can't speak for indiana where rob is same (laughs) same all right let's get started so you began your career in electronic engineering and had an extensive career prior to starting your current path how do you think that gave you an advantage in your current role that's a very interesting question i've I've often reflected on it i think one of the things is that it's turned me into a t-shaped person There are three basic types of people out there. You've got the vertical or the I-shaped person who is very focused in one area. You've also got the horizontal person who has a broad range of experiences and and interests in many, many things. But then there's the T-shaped person who is the combination of both. And I think over the years, I've been involved in so many different um, engineering activities and in service work and other, other projects that I've done that I gathered lots of different knowledges, processes, uh, functions, and insights into many different types of business. Engineering being the main one because of the electronics, because of the uh, mechanical engineering, production engineering, and innovative work that I've done. So one of the things I found is, is that by being multidisciplinary as I am, I'm able to cross fertilize ideas and concepts from one industry into another one, which seems to be lacking in many places. Engineering has done a lot of work over the last 70, 80 years to turn an ordinary motor car into 
something quite fantastic. If you look at it f- uh, from the, the cars that were built back in the uh, 60s and 70s in the UK and in America and compare them to the cars being built today because of the drive for quality for Kanban and all the other systems that have been there. But pe- people don't seem to apply that to service industries and to other other, other projects. So some of the things... That's I- interesting you say that. I want to just... Um- jump in here a second. It's very true about the need to be multidisciplinary in terms of what you do. And I think both Rob and I can attest in our individual roles here at Radwell that that's like a requirement, right, in our industry, Rob? Yeah, for sure. That's the first time I've, I've heard T-shaped person and then it Me described too. that way and I'm fascinated by it. Me too. I love that. I think that we're W-shaped people. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> just joking, Nigel. Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, that's no problem at all. The thing is, I, I, by doing all the engineering stuff early on in my days, the disciplines that you learn in, in cataloging everything and having processes and systems in place, because you can get lost very, very quickly. So I've learned things about quality assurance, ISO, supply chain management, people and team management, uh, failure mode effect analysis, innovation, research and development, uh, finite element analysis, because I've used all these different systems at some stage in my long career. The other thing is working in, I've worked in public sector, I've worked in private sector, and I've worked in the third sector as well, charities, fundraising. And it's knowing about people. I think it's the psychology is the bit that I'm fascinated by at the moment. And that's why I'm, I've thrown so much effort into customer experience and, and the processes people go through in the buying process, because it's all part of a, a journey. Everyone takes journeys. And most people only look at the journey sector at the beginning of where their journey is to the end of it. So if you're in a business and you're dealing with purchasing, you're only interested in the people who are supplying you. But do you go back further to see who's supplying them? And where did that stuff come from originally? And and, um, I give a lot of lectures in schools and universities. And they're always amazed at the fact that when I start off with, say, an iPad as a demonstration, and I take it on the on the whiteboard. I, I start off with them owning a whiteboard, uh, an iPad, and take it back to digging out lithium from mines in Central America to process, and all the journey that it takes to show them the opportunities that are there in different jobs and careers. And the lecturers, they sort of come up to me after and said, "How do you know all this stuff?" I said, "Because I've made it my business to find out, and I've worked in many of these sectors." And and I think it's it's having that amassed that those insights those knowledge bases and everything else that helps you to actually explain things to people in in a language that they can understand because you understand it Uh, i'm getting into things now about languages because one of the big problems with a lot of industry especially manufacturing and software development is the fact that they use all the language within their industry so they're actually excluding the people who want to buy the potential and the opportunity that those software products and those production systems actually generate. That's where marketing comes in, isn't it, though? Trying to navigate the language? Yeah, but marketing is usually made of, um, sorry, um, that's how they should be doing it. But then you you find marketing will put up a, a good story, a good campaign. But what happens is that the owners of the company who are software driven they say, oh, no, no, you've got to mention this, you've got to mention that. So Too many words, uh, yes. <laughs> and then they throw in too many words. They start using things like I used, FEA, FMEA. But unless you do supply chain management, you won't understand FMEA, a failure mode effect analysis, or production. You won't know what failure mode effect analysis is about. 
You see it in government as well, because they, they, they're so happy using all these wonderful shortened phrases to represent large concepts. And it just alienates most of the readers. That's very true. That's very true. And this is why I always try and avoid using that sort of language and put things in terms of how people understand how the internet works. Because everyone wants to know how does it work and it's too complicated a system and, and process to actually teach someone. There's, there's people who've been doing it for me 25 years, and I still don't understand how some of it works. But the thing is, the same can be said for, for individuals. I, I often ask the question to people because they want to know how the internet works because they're afraid of it. And I say, well, can you write? And they say, yes, I can. I said, do you know how a ballpoint pen works? No, I don't. Because you don't need to. You don't need to know how it works. You just have to understand it as a tool and how you can use it to, to do the things you want to do. So, Nigel, how is the Internet a help for manufacturers in terms of day-to-day -day operations? Ah, how long's a piece of string? I think, um, oh, how long is this interview? Well, yeah, um, it is a pretty broad question. I'll give you that. Yeah, it is a very broad question. But, but the thing is, it, it actually it all, it all starts with what do you manufacture? It, it starts off with what is it that you manufacture, how big your company is, how big you want it to grow, what your ambitions are, what are the objectives of the company and the organization, and how long do you want to take to do that, and about how much investment you're going to make to get to where you want to be and how over, over what period. So it, it all goes back to the business plan. It all goes back to the, the first initial ideas and concepts that you have as a business. Now, if you're already running a business and you're going along quite nicely, it's it there are, there are so many applications out there that you can't have a, a one size fits all solution to this and this is where the expertise of individuals who can come into the company who can help with with looking at where the business owners and stakeholders want to take the, the company and how they can engineer that using the technology that are out there now one of the big problems a lot of companies have is they get lots of uh, software development people who say, yeah, we can help you to do all this wonderful stuff. We've got all these amazing tools in our system. And then you've got to change the way you've worked for many, many years to actually, and retrain everybody to actually use, to actually get it to work, to actually do that. Now, that's a big cost and a big investment. So a lot of people who've got legacy equipment like uh, ERP systems, enterprise resource planning um, systems, they, they don't plug into the new ultra-modern, best things in sliced bread uh, software that's been developed by a company. And th this is one of the issues you've got, is you've got to sort out how they, all the different systems fit together, how they work together, because most companies have built their software up or built their digital systems up over a period of time, buying in the latest thing at that particular time, not looking at, about, uh, looking at a solution that, is, that works for the business. And if, if you work for, if you manufacture um, parts that go into a, another machine that makes that work, or if you manufacture the complete, like sub-assemblies, or if you manufacture jewelry, you've got two different systems requ system requirements. So again, it's, it's, it's about understanding the business and the business operations and where the objectives of the business are, where the goals of the business are so that you can actually plan it out over a period of time. You cannot do this as, all oh, right, we'll buy this software off the shelf, we'll plug it in and start using it. So many digital transformation projects fail because that's the impression they think of. They don't look at it as a long-term progressive development. 
Sorry, that's very confusing. No, actually, it's good. We have um, we're pretty fortunate in that. Um, I feel like we have a very strong IT presence. Rob, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it served us well in terms of some of these some of these potential struggles. Was well, a, a lot of companies don't have IT departments. They they subcontract that, and that subcontractor has probably got twenty other clients they're working for in different sectors, and they don't want the problems that are being created by that, uh, but by the one client, because it affects how they deal with other clients. So again, you've got to think about, do we have an internal digital department? Uh, do we have an internal IT department? But again, you mustn't allow the IT department to control the business. That's where a lot of problems start and finish. Um, I've, I've had I've had issues with um, clients where the IT department would not let me have access to back-end systems so that I could correct things to make their website more effective. Uh, they wanted to host the website themselves instead of subcontracting it to a third party, which meant that the IT man actually controlled uh, the voice of the company. Yeah, that's not good either. And it's not good. And the first thing I recommended when I spoke to the client was get rid of your IT department. <laughs> Bet they like that. <laughs> Oh, they did, because yeah, that's when they started saying to me, oh, yeah, we have real problems with them. I said, this is one of the big problems you have with a lot of businesses is the politics that go on inside, and I'll mention that later on in another question. What are some of the digital struggles that manufacturers face? Luddites. <laughs> you have to clarify that. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll clarify that. I, 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 think, I think one of the di big digital struggles is people – there are people who are out there and they're, they're vanguards. You know, the early adopters come on very quickly, but it's picking up the Luddites. It's picking up the people who get left behind. They don't have the technology in their phone to do, to have the apps that, that the companies are pushing to get their clients to use. And it, it's often um, a situation that, that I find myself in in some cases. Many of the car parks or parking lots that you have to pay to put your car on in tourist centers around the UK are now going over to phone payment systems. Well, I've got a talk and text phone, okay, which cannot take apps. So I can't use it. And when you actually look at the statistics, you find that whilst a lot of the telecoms companies say that 98% of the people in the UK have access to phone systems, when you look at the actual numbers of customers who actually use them for uh, their day-to-day -day lives, there are about 25% of them are still using them just for talking, texting, and that's it. They're not using the apps. They, they're not downloading. And this is happening at the moment with the pandemic. They've got a track and trace system in the UK and people are switching it off. They've downloaded it and now they're getting rid of it because they're getting too many notifications that you apparently came close in contact with someone. So people are actually going against what everybody seems to want to do. Now, sometimes technology is brilliant, but is it brilliant for every customer? Does every customer want to have that? And also it's the same within the companies themselves. I, I, I say Luddites because it's not about Luddites. It's about the generations coming through and, and everyone's trying to change something in one generation where actually we've got to do it over four generations because they're all, you know, even amongst the youngsters you see today, they are uh, getting rid of their smartphones and going back to um, not having a phone at all because they've had so many bad experiences from it. And and so it, it, it's always worth looking at the outliers because they can give you insights. And, and if you stop providing conventional 
services for many of your clients, then the chances are you're going to lose those in bulk and they're going to go to an older older working methodology. So, so it, it's a balanced system. And, and so the struggle is understanding that. And this is where customer experience comes in because it's the way you analyze your customers. It's the way you analyze your, your, your own workforce because there are people amongst that that are not interested in taking um, new technology forward because they feel that they have to learn something new. And I've done it like this for the last 20 years. So why can't I keep doing like this? Because it seems to work. And it's about, and this is where it really, it's about engagement. Uh, if you're going to move forward with the digital transformation, you have to get everybody on board and buy in from everyone, from top management all the way down to the security guard on, on the gate. Um, and the receptionist, everyone has to be involved in it. And often what happens is transformation, the big digital struggle is where the transformation is brought in by one department because they've been charged with the job of doing it. And then everybody else has to run and jump for that. And instead of it being brought through gradually rather than just trying to do it overnight. So based on that, what internet tools should manufacturers prioritize? In your opinion? In my opinion? Uh, virtual private networks uh, for running the ordering systems and things like that within the company, ERP systems within the business, and especially if a company has got many, many different locations, then how do they keep in touch? How do they keep stock controls and all the other things? How do they do their purchasing processes? All that can be done digitally these days. And it's been that, that's been around since before the internet. But with the internet and cloud services, you're able to do that. When it comes to selling and customer supply, look at the whole supply chain. Look at how you can introduce systems that make it easier for your customers to engage with you, but having pushed them over into a digital methodology of um, a digital process, don't forget to pick the phone up to them now and again and say, hi, let's go out for lunch. So humanize it too, don't just make it internet. Humanize it as well, because, because and, and I see this happening so much in, in with all the AI tech, uh, technologies that are coming forward at the moment. Yes, some of them are brilliant, and some of them are exceptionally clever, but they are a machine. Some of them are creepy that. too. We're not going to forget some about that. Some of them that. are exceptionally <laughs> creepy, especially, <laughs> especially when you phone up a customer service line, and you can tell fairly quickly by the way the questions are being asked, it's not a human being. And I found a great way of messing them up by just asking why like a small <laughs> child. Why? The three-year-old loop. Why? Yeah. Why? Oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And, and you can see because they do not have any understanding of empathy. Now, I've said that probably the people who are developing it will say, if you get the why question, do this. <laughs> That's okay. They still have to catch up with you. So They still have to catch up with you. I'll ask another question then. And you think this, this is one of the things that, that you have to look at, that it presents with some amazing capabilities. But then you have to deal, remember one thing. You're dealing with humans, okay? And, and it has to be humanized in some way. And if you don't understand that human thing, we are not automatons. And, and it's funny, I asked a question many, many years ago in 2001 to an audience of business people. I said, what do you hate about the internet? And I asked them to shout it out and I wrote it up on a board. And I asked the question again, just before lockdown at an international conference, the load of people again. And they shouted out loads of things. And you know, they, they shouted the same 10 things that were told me in 2001. Wow. 
That's crazy when you think it about crazy. it. It is crazy. All the technology that's come out, the technology has advanced immensely in that time. But people haven't. People still have the same emotions. They still have the same needs. They still have the same desires. And one of the big thing about uh, doing a um, customer journey mapping is that you actually spend a lot of time looking at the emotional journey that people take. Because the emotional journey that people take in a purchase process for their task completion is vastly different for someone buying a holiday to somebody arranging the funeral services for their parents passing away. And so nobody takes that into consideration. But when your human is involved, like the funeral directors, they have empathy. They understand. They behave is much different from somebody who's selling a holiday in a holiday shop, travel agents. And, and you go in and everyone's excited and happy and all because you're going on a holiday. Uh, and and this, is, this, this is the understanding that, that's needed with, with anything, whether it's manufacturing, engineering, jewelry, whatever you're manufacturing, you have to understand how did your customer feel about it? And no one ever bothers to ask or look. So how would you say manufacturers can work through some of these digital struggles to make the internet work best for their operation? Oh, What's your contract, advice? Contract me to come and talk. There you go. Yeah. They need to find people who can do this work to help them through this process. It, it's funny when you, when you see a lot of the, the soft skills training that goes on out there and the soft skills advice that people are getting from business coaches to mentors and that sort of stuff. Everyone's throwing loads of money at it, but sometimes you actually have to have a mentor for the business itself. But you need somebody who has an understanding of the whole thing, not just the finances and not just the marketing and not just the process control, but to actually span across all the silos of the business to be able to drill down into it and and, and look at things in a very close way. And I think it was Steve Jobs who said that we started with a customer. And I think this is an important aspect as well. Now, whether your customer is a car company who are assembling cars like Fords or General Motors, you have to look at who the customer is. What are they looking for? What are they driving for? What is their business goal? So that you can actually fit into that but also able to give them opportunities to improve some of the objectives that they are trying to achieve. And again, you've got to talk to human beings at the end of the day. And while social media is wonderful and I have great times with USA Manufacturing Hour and Made in Britain, it's often very detached. I love it because I'm understanding a lot more about the way Americans communicate and interact with each other. It's funny, in many cases, someone puts a GIF up or something, I'm thinking, well, that's a bit the wrong side of uh, decency sort of thing or whatever, because we have a much more reserved observation of life in, in the UK. Culturally, yes, you do. But you know what? I think sometimes it's by the person too, because there's plenty of Americans that respond the way you do. And then there's some that, you know, are a little over the top with things. So I think, yeah, I think it depends. And it goes back to what you were saying. Remember that you're dealing with humans behind the keyboard and behind the technology. Humans created it, but humans use it. Nigel, that being said, what are some of the positives that can come out of working through the digital struggles? Oh, there's a wonderful word that all business owners and business stakeholders want to hear, and that's the word profit. It's, it's about profit at the end of the day, because why are you in business? Again, you have people who run businesses who do great works in communities and, and help the community and everything else. You have other people who have great products, but they don't understand that connection with the community. Um, they don't give. You have to give a little. It's part of the of human nature to be helpful. 
some people manage to block it off, but they don't usually last that long or they climb quickly and then they dive quickly as well. And usually the journey down is a lot worse than the journey up. It's profit. It's, it's, it's about establishing and establishing the goals of the business and understanding what those goals are to make sure that everything works towards that, but include humans, include customers, include staff, employees, include management. Okay. Because everyone's a stakeholder within the business and that business, everyone benefits from that business being in existence. So they will give more if they understand that they're not there just to come in at nine o'clock in the morning or start of shift, stand by the machine and do the same operation. What they're doing is helping the whole system work. So it's important to go and say, well done to them occasionally because customer experience can be applied to employee experience as well. The principles, this is an important aspect. Now let's get back onto the subject of digital. Digital makes life a lot easier for people because you can communicate faster. It reduces the cost of communication dramatically. It's about building up your audiences and making sure that those audiences are the same ones that want to buy or engage with your product. The sales department, have they got the systems in place to be able to do the things that they need to do? And often you can find it in the sales department, there are some people who don't fill in the um, customer relationship management software um, sections because they're too busy out there talking and entertaining and um, discussing things with the client and they haven't got time to fill that in the old school type but they get just as much income for the company as the ones because they want to keep that client to themselves they don't want it broadcast across all the sales team otherwise somebody else might try and sneak off with their client and you've got to understand those issues that go on being liked yeah everybody likes to be liked but you can't please everybody um I was told once, um, because I'd spent a bit of time uh, when I started a new job, I spent um, probably quite a lot of my time, my daytime in the works, talking to the people in the works and talking to the individuals, because I'd only just started the job and I needed to get some sort of credibility with the people who were uh, were employed. And I built up quite a strong reputation with the guys and they, they, they respected me and I was building up a good reputation. I was getting them to do things that the last manager couldn't do. And so I was getting a good team together. And I was told by my boss not long after I'd started there, about two or three months into working there, he said, why do you spend so much time over there? You're not paid to be liked. And I thought, yeah, but it makes life a lot easier when you have to ask somebody to do to stay on an extra two hours to finish off a project or to finish off um, uh, some production work. I, I, I'm, I'm torn on that one. I, 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 don't, I can't be that person who doesn't worry about what people think of them, although I do know some people don't like me, but there we are. That's part of life. I happen to agree with you, Nigel. I think that's an important piece to being a productive leader, an yeah. effective leader. Yeah. You've got to be respected. You've got to be liked to a certain extent. And you've got to show confidence when you speak to with them. And also you've got to, I was told one thing by a sage gentleman many, many years ago, a pat on the back is cheaper than a pay rise. And it's remembered much longer. And the number of managers who don't actually know the names of the people who work underneath them, um, especially when you get into larger, larger corporate companies. Um, that's why I like family-run companies, because everyone knows each other, even if there's 150 people working there. They all know each other, and everyone helps each other out. Okay, that's that, that's the personal thing. I, I think also, I, I think when it comes to sales, and I think that's an important thing, because you won't have profits if you can't sell the product, it's about the customer. And it's about understanding how the customer sees your business and your organization. Because everyone looks, everyone in the business is looking out at the customer. 
but everyone outside is looking in and everyone's got their own biases and they've got their own thoughts and their own experiential learning from what they've had in life. And they approach companies in different ways. And you can see some of the big companies like Coca-Cola have been around many, many years who are able to, you know, everyone loves Coca-Cola. Or if you're a Pepsi drinker, everyone loves Pepsi. Um, (laughs) It's that sort of thing. But then they've got a lot of attack now from smaller brands. And what does Coca-Cola and Pepsi do? They just go out and buy them out. But they keep the brands running because they know that there are certain people who will not buy Coca-Cola or buy, buy Pepsi because they're too big. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that on the internet now as well, because Amazon is experiencing problems with people who refuse to buy off Amazon because it's such a big corporate. And it, it, it happens in other companies as well, where they, they blot their copybook because they're known as this friendly, nice, brilliant brand that everyone loves. And then they go and say something on social media that puts 140,000 of their customers against them within a day. And this is one of the big things about digital is reputation management. Well, it's also about having brand values and making sure that your brand values aren't lip service, that they that you actually walk the walk and talk the talk when it comes to those brand values. I think that's where people get into trouble on social media is their brand values say one thing, but the people actually operating don't think about that because it's not a part of their daily life and it should be because brand values really, when you said, you know, what else is there besides profit? There's brand values. There's why you do what you do, not just what you do, but why. That's how I think of it anyway. Yeah, and I and I see your case. And, and that brand value can be destroyed just by wanting to tick a box that actually has got nothing to do with you. Um, and you're just doing it to virtue signal. And I'm not I'm not gonna go into that 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 realm of things, but but when I was growing up. I did a lot of service work. I got involved with a lot of uh, international service organizations. I don't brag about how much money I raised. I don't brag about how, how, how many good deeds I did. Okay. Because that, that's personal. Okay. It, it doesn't need to be pushed across the hall, but there seems to be this fashion these days of everyone doing something small and then saying, Oh, look how wonderful I am. Because they're after, they're chasing after, I think it's part of the, the issues, especially in a, in a consumer society, part of the issues relating to social media is that people think social media is the world. They built up 2000 friends on a particular uh, platform and they think of them as friends. There are only two types of friends. There's a good friend and there's a friend. The friend will help you move house. A good friend will help you bury a body. <laughs> <laughs> There's that whale's humor coming out. <laughs> I know. I told you I got some lateral humor. Just think about this. How many people you know would actually help you bury a body without asking any questions, without any, no, I won't. They, you know they'll do that for you. And you'll probably find there's only two people in your life would actually do that with you. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> well, well, I know who my two are. <laughs> to, to, to the other point about him moving your home, I do know that friend. Uh, luckily, luckily I, I, I don't know the other one that would help me. I'll tell you what, though, the moving house thing, that's a tricky one. Sometimes that's harder than getting someone to bury a body with you. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody wants to help somebody move. rolled up in the carpet when you move house, yeah. Um, No, it's just a metaphor, but but, but it it, it is really about understanding who friends are. And I've seen some acrimonious things going on in in social media because somebody uh, said one thing and somebody said, I don't like that. And uh, 
It's it's, and these are the things that that are driving people away from it. These are the things that are driving young people not to engage because they've been bullied or they've had those sort of things. And, and this is where companies can really have to think twice before they start ticking boxes, basically, and just get on with what they are there to do. Yeah. So to zero in on it, you know, a, a little more, what are the most important ways resolving digital struggles can positively impact the customer experience in manufacturing? It's easy to say an effective website, but what is an effective website? Um, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, customers see your business in a different way from how you see your business. And most business people are chasing after the profit. So they are their digital footprint and their digital assets are all geared towards what the business wants, not what the customer wants. And at the end of the day, once you publish your website, how many people in the business actually go and have a look at it? How many people in the business actually go and think, oh, perhaps we could make that easier if we didn't have that thing that stops people going to the next stage. And it is, it's about having that team of people who will constantly go in and have a look at the way things work on the website and try and look at it from the customer's experience. I did a talk, a TED talk, uh, a local one in, in South Wales back about four or five years ago called Walking in the Shoes of Your Customers. And it was all to do with how people perceive businesses and organizations through their digital assets. If you think about it, what are people buying? You know what you sell, but what are people actually buying? And if you don't understand what your customers are buying, you're going to have a big problem selling to them. There's a game I play with the, with my wife. Um, we, we watch the advertisements between the programs and we have the sound off and we try to identify who the company is before they actually announce it on the screen. We also look at the way that they, that the way they advertise what they have in their content in the advertisement so that we can see, well, this is, is this what they, their customer looks like? Is this what their idea of the representation of their customer is? The vast majority of people who buy their product. And often they have it so wrong. And often they insult their real clients because the way they depict them in their advertisements. And it's, it's, it's quite sad, really, because people have drifted away from the, from the most essential parts of marketing. Make sure your customer can recognize themselves in your, your promotion, in your advertisements. Know your audience, basically. Know your blooming audience. Oops, sorry, I nearly swear then. <laughs> know your audience because they we'll probably the leave ones, that in. <laughs> they're the ones who are going to make your business work. They're the ones who are going to lead to that profit that you're after. They're the ones who are going to give you the turnover you require to pay your staff to do the investment in, in, in new products and new technologies and, and your digital digital transformation. And and if you don't hit that target, then you're not you're not going to survive. It's looking at what holds people back uh, from buying from a company. And sometimes it's as simple as they get to the website, they arrive on the homepage, and they don't know where to go. Failure to start. Yep. Right. User experience. Yep. User experience. It's, it's, it's you know, which is customer experience. Uh, a user experience is, is, is quite interesting because when I, I, it's, I, I've done a lot of user experience with, with companies and with digital assets. And one of the things I found is that when people see that, they don't, the customers I'm after, the, the business owners, and the marketing departments, they see customer exp user experience, they don't understand it. They think it's a design issue, whereas if they see customer experience, they understand that straight away. Um, so that's why I've changed it. But essentially, we are user experience specialists. But for the customer to under for my customers, my clients to understand, I've got to use the word customer experience. 
And so, you know, I looked into how my customers see things and the ones I want and the ones who have the money to pay for my services and, and, the, and the training and, and so that they can understand by talking to their marketing and sales department to help them understand more about their customers in the digital environment, then they are able to make better judgment on the communications that they use and how they optimize their websites from search engine optimization to visual optimization so that they can engage the customer more readily and get get more sales. Because if you ask anybody or, you know, and this is what happens, you get a new website, you put it up, you ask all your friends, family, and some of your best clients, what do you think of the new website? Oh, it's fantastic. Is it? Because often they'll say that because they don't want to offend you. And that's why I can be quite offensive when I do uh, feedback sessions on customer experience journey planning and customer experience through digital assets and audits for clients. Um, they get quite upset. So diplomacy comes in a big way at that point. I was going to say offensive is probably not the, the right word. No, it's but... not. But people get upset, <laughs> you know, and uh, I, I've actually had web designers in tears. Not that I wanted to do that. It's just that they get offended because they feel that they put so much into making that particular website and the client is there, they are there. And I just ask a simple question. Why did you do it this way? And they get really upset because I'm challenging them. And that's what my job there is, to challenge the ideas. And I, I, I mentioned at the very beginning the, the concept of the 10th man. It's, it's quite an old concept. And, and, and what happens is you, you get board meetings and you get discussion meetings on a project or um, a campaign or anything else that's going on in a company. And every, everybody agrees because they don't want to upset the boss. But the problem is somebody has to be a 10th man. Someone has to make challenge the fact that, yes, you, this is brilliant, but what happens about our customers? What happens about this? How do we get it from here to there? Okay, in the project, how do we go through those steps? Have you mapped out the journey? And have you looked at all the failure points within that journey? And is there a better way of doing it? But because everybody wants to get the meeting over with and everybody's sort of patting the project person on the back because it's the son of the owner of the company and they don't want to upset them or there's politics going on in the company somebody inside won't do that even if they think it so this is where having a 10th man brought in as an expert from outside can can resolve that issue i i can suggest that that people should look up 10th man principle so that they can implement it in their business because if you don't challenge or make people think about the consequences of what they do you can run down a rabbit hole for hours and end up in a cul-de-sac and have to crawl back out after investing vast amounts of money and time and effort to, to get to that point. And then you realize it's not going to work or it's a failure point because you missed things on the journey because people didn't actually open up the discussions. So I very much appreciate the Seagull soundtrack in the background, as I'm sure Rob does. I love it. <laughs> it's awesome. Very calming, very soothing. Nigel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Julie, and thank you, Rob. Um, it's been a really interesting uh, conversation. I've had a hold back in many ways because of, um, there's so much to discuss and your, your questions could lead into so many different things. We'll have to have you back again soon. Well, I'd, I'd love to come back and uh, perhaps we can focus down on one particular aspect of things and uh, we'll see what happens there. Sounds great. I've included Nigel's contact information in the show notes in case you'd like to reach out to him. He's a wealth of information and also a really great person to chat with about many industry topics. If you like this podcast, we'd love to have you leave us a review wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you for joining us for episode 16 of Radwell Automation Nation.
Until next time. To learn more about Radwell, visit radwell.com or connect with us on social media. To contact us about this podcast, email automationnation at radwell.com. Thanks for joining us.